Hey everyone, welcome to Share Your Sparkle. I'm your host, Dr. Darlene Berrios, and this is episode 20, one year ago today. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. Um, It's probably already started. I know for sure that I've seen this already, but um, the news is reporting on events that have happened one year ago today. Now, this is being released on Friday, February 5th, 2021. But I know for sure that as we come upon the end of February, March, and continue on, we're going to see more and more of that in the news or realize in our personal lives what happened one year ago today. I want to share with you a story. Um, I shared with you the the poem by Aurea, The Invitation. I can't remember what ep- episode it was in, but um, I'll share it again real quick. Actually, no, I'm, gonna sh- I'm not going to share it again. You look it up. <laughs> the Invitation. I'll put the link in there. But... Um, she wrote that. I want to share her words. So she made that poem a book. And on the title, it says The Invitation. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. Aurea. So I'm going to share how that poem came about. She was in her kitchen with her friend Catherine. And they were just... I'm sure, blabbing away. What do you do when you're hanging out with your friends? You're blabbing away, right? So this is what Oria wrote. See, she had gone to a a gathering with people um, an evening. Although this dissatisfaction with small talk is something that has always been with me, there was a reason why the feeling was so acute on this particular night in May of 1994. One year earlier... On this day, standing in my kitchen, cleaning and chatting with my dear friend Catherine, I'd watched as she'd suddenly raised her hand to her head, complaining of a sharp pain. And as she'd winced, I'd seen a flash of light, like the blinding pop of a camera's flashbulb next to her temple. I can't explain it. Perhaps it was because my grandfather had had an aneurysm years before, that the word immediately came into my mind like a silent and certain shadow filling me with dread. There are events by which we mark our lives, usually unexpected and often tragic occurrences beyond our control that become a kind of watershed. All other events becoming known as that which came before or after. In North America, Kennedy's assassination and and September 11th are two such moments in our collective history. I'm going to pause there. As we all are experiencing the COVID pandemic, that's another one of these moments. I'm going to go back. That day with Catherine became one of those reference points in my life. As I drove her to the hospital and she stopped breathing, as I reached out for her crying her name, as I sat in the hospital waiting room silent, I mean listening to the surgeon telling me he did not think he could save her, I felt everything I thought I knew turn to ash. 
A brain aneurysm is usually fatal and almost always un- unanticipated. One minute, everything is as it had been. And in the next, everything is changed forever. Being with Catherine that day abruptly ended any temptation or tendency I had ever had to buy into comforting platitudes that promise unlimited control of our lives or pretend that we can know with certainty that everything happens, is caused or orchestrated by a higher power for a reason. It ripped from my hands and my heart my unacknowledged and only semi-conscious belief in the power of my own will to protect myself and those I loved from any real harm with hard work and diligent practice. It brought the reality of impermanence, the reality of our own mortality, and the consistency and unpredictable, unpredictability of change in our lives up against my face, hard. Catherine lived. Today she resides in a group home. I'm going to pause there. I'm not sure if she's still alive today because this was written, you know, in the 1990s. Today she resides in a group home where she can receive the care she needs, continually working to improve her physical mobility and mental acuity. Despite her disabilities and all she has lost, she continually expresses her gratitude for being alive. One of the many things I received from that day with Catherine was a heightened sense of how none of us knows how much time we have. Any one of us could be, in this moment, 60 seconds or an hour away from a brain aneurysm. And I'm going to say, cancel that order, God. That's what, you know, when you don't want something to happen, you just say cancel, or as my cousin says, cancel that order, God. I'm going back. With this realization came a deepening of my desire to be fully present for every moment of this precious life I have been given. On the first anniversary of that day with Catherine, on the night I wrote the invitation, I was filled with wanting to make sure I did not waste one moment on that which does not matter, on small talk that does not really share anything or create any intimacy between us. Being with Catherine on that day a year before had split me open to my own longing to live from a deeper place had given me the courage to allow the voice of what I ache for to have its say. So I sat down to write at my desk in the dim light of the street lamp outside my window. On this night, I used a writing exercise I had received from poet David White at a workshop over a year before. David had given workshop participants a writing exercise based on his poem, Self-Portrait, from his poetry collection, Fire in the Earth asking us to begin with the phrase, it doesn't interest me, and continue with what I really want. I had used this writing exercise dozens of times to go deeper in both my writing and my meditations, to discover what I did not already know about my own thoughts and feelings, to open to the ache I felt in my chest for something more. As the words flowed, I recognized a voice that has always been there within me, the voice that passionately seeks life's purpose, the voice of the tired heart that longs for real intimacy and deep rest, the voice that asks me to be fully present with it all, the pain and the joy, the beauty and the sorrow, the inner silence and the noise of the world. I wasn't the only one who recognized this voice as part of who I had already been. 
and I'm going to stop there. So in this book, the invitation came out of an event with her friend that was obviously life-changing. And I think for all of us, as we come upon our one year ago today, there are many things that have happened, whether individually or as a collective. And I can remember on February 5th, 2020, teaching my students how to use a compass. One year ago today, I taught my students how to use a compass. I was very fortunate enough to be in a place that had access to 120 acres, a beautiful pavilion to learn and teach in, and part of the lesson that I had that day was how to use a compass. And it was really neat to physically teach that. But at the same time, what I'm bringing you today is, do you know how to use your compass? (laughs) Do you know how to calibrate it? And if you do, are you walking the path that you ache for? So I'm going to actually pause for a second here and literally talk about the compass. So if you've never seen one, you should actually just get one. It's kind of a really cool gift. Um, They're not that expensive. And it has, you know, the base plate where it has like a little ruler on it, the direction of the travel arrow, a rotating bevel, you know, that turns and twists, the needle housing and... um, yeah, it's you should you should really get one. It's actually kind of a cool gift. Um, and the cardinal directions, you know, north, east, south, west, love, 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 love. <laughs> um, I actually think that in reality, our compasses all point in the same direction, but we're all we all have a different path. Thank God, because that would be just such a busy path if we all had the same path. But I truly think our north is all the same. It just leads us back to our source. I don't know. To to love uh, and to our purpose for being here. And while essentially that looks very different in the human realm, I think spiritually it all it's all the same north. I'm not sure if that makes any sense, but it kind of makes sense to me. And you have to adjust your um, your compass because true north is different than magnetic north. So that teaches you how to do that. It says to orientate your map. So figure out um, your compass compared to your map. And you're like, wait a second. I don't know what my map is. I don't have my path. Baloney, people. <laughs> you have a map. You just haven't taken it out. It's kind of like the Goonies. Find that map that's hidden in that house, in your house. Find it. It's there. It's not lost. You just can't see it. Your map is there. Make a physical map if you need a reminder of it. And then it's really, it actually sends another part of using a compass is to take a bearing. Bearings are always relative to a specific location. How hilarious is that? Get your bearings, people. Like, get it together. (laughs) Um... And then once you have your bearings, start moving. Start moving to your location. 
That's cool. One year ago today, I taught my kids how to use a compass. When you're recalibrating your compass, you're really just um, asserting power over yourself, trying to get back on track. And I know a lot of people over the past year have done a lot, it seems like, fixing their house or cleaning out their house, decluttering, adding things, making, you know, office spaces, different things like that physically. But what are you doing spiritually? Because that's the important stuff. The physical stuff helps, right? Get out the junk. But spiritually, what are you doing to recalibrate your compass? So one year ago today, I taught my kids how to use a compass. I think that's pretty cool. I'm actually going to end. Well, I'm not going to end. I'm not done yet. I want to talk about nature. So birds and butterflies are, well, some migrate. And it's really amazing that there are some birds that actually come back to the same tree, the same neighborhood, once they've traveled sometimes thousands of miles. So in nature, right? I'm sure every bird outside isn't like one year ago today. <laughs> They're not doing that. And I don't, I guess we do it. But anyway, um, in nature, I'm reading from, it says here, there's a, an individual here, he's a naturalist and has an awe, a book, Scott Widensall, living on the wind across the hemisphere with migratory birds. And he talks about, about how birds, um, migrate. And he says, most species are born with migration routes genetically encoded in their brains. The timing of their return too is governed by an internal clock that tracks the changing ratio of daylight to darkness as winter progresses. And longer days trigger their instinct to head north. They really have to accomplish two separate but interlocking tasks, says Scott Widensell. They have to orient and they have to navigate. Think of orientation as the compass and navigation as the map. I'm digressing. Calibrate your compass compass, and get out your map. And one of the most important cues for orientation is the night sky. Like sea explorers, birds note the movement of stars as they swing around the stationary Polaris to the north. But the night sky can be riddled with star-obscuring clouds. Hello, people. You know, the noise of the world, the craziness that exists. There's, there are the clouds. And some birds migrate by daylight. Their other key fallback is the Earth's magnetic field. Numerous species contain deposits of magnetite at the base of their bill, and scientists long, dis- long assumed birds use these like magnets that pull their noses north. But recent studies have shown instead that a visual element is more vital to their sense of the magnetic field through quantum entanglement. Listen to this for a second. Quantum entanglement, a state in which a pair of electrons can be separated by vast distances yet affect each other's behavior. Hey, people, that's all of us. That's us as human beings in this world. A state in which a pair of electrons can be separated by vast distances yet affect each other's behavior. 
once we realize we're all in this together, I think, you know, humanity will change and be a much better place. But once we keep seeing ourselves as different or separate, then we're going to still keep having issues. Anyway, essentially, photons of light enter a bird's eye and galvanize these intertwined electrons into chemical reactions that, when multiplied across the eye, could create a map-like image of the magnetic field. Other tools include scent. Seabirds can smell their way back to a single bur burrow among millions in pitch black. And hearing. So, you know, yeah, and that relates to people too. I mean, we, if we're with someone, we like their smell. And I'm not talking about the cologne or perfume they're wearing. There is something about that, the pheromones. Like, we're like, like sniffing out people. <laughs> I know it's weird, but we're animals too. Like, and that helps us find home. It helps us find our burrow. That's pretty cool. Birds migrating up the Great Plains, for example, can orient in part by keeping the sounds of the Atlantic Ocean in one ear and the wind in the light in the high passes of the Rockies in the other. With the rose rumble of seismic activity in the mountains of central Mexico directly behind. So using smell and sound and light to guide the way. I think we're kind of like the same way. If I mean, if we can tap into our like nature, our true nature, I think we're the same way. Um, the real miracle in, is the seamless fusion of these tools over vast distances. Birds really do have a remarkable ability to home back to a particular place. Widensall says they're coming back to the same backyard, the same tree. They have a whole suit of cues they can use to get there. And it may be that, depending on global conditions, they learn to rely on one more than the others. I feel like that's like us. We have plenty of cues to help us find our way. But one, are we paying attention Two, are we using someone else's map when we should be using our own? Three, I mean, do you even know that you're going somewhere? You have to know you're going somewhere to get there. <laughs> so one year ago today, I taught my students how to use a compass. The last thing I'm going to end on is um, something I did this morning and kind of like the message I got while I, while I, explain what I did. So I was hiking. I'm in New England, so it snowed here a few days ago. It's a, There's a lot of snow. I'm, I don't know, six to eight inches at least. So an hour hike is now taking two hours because you're trudging through the snow and the path. Someone I think went up in snowshoes about halfway, but after that, I was the one breaking through the ground, like the snow. Oh, my calves are like Jit in pain. I'm not kidding. The past two nights, I've woken up like screaming slash crying and laughing because like one of them just cramps up when I stretch it. They hurt really bad. Thank God my sister has like this, um, you know, the stretching thingy for your calves. So good. I want to steal it. But anyway, so uh, an hour hike is taking two hours and it's really beautiful. It's cold, but it's really beautiful to be in the woods and just breathe in the cold air and trudge up the mountaintop 
Um, oh, and my brother has a job because I was telling him how the snow is sparkling, which you know what I'm talking about. If you lived anywhere with snow, snow sparkles in the sunlight. He's like, you know what? It needs to be a certain kind of snow. It needs to be that light, um, dusty topping. And I'm like, oh my God, you have a job now. I'm giving you the job of snow sparkling inspector. So that's what the snow looked like. And on my way down, I just stopped. The air was very still. There was no wind. And I just got on my knees. And I looked towards the sun. And I said, thank you. And as I did that, my own voice in my own head was like, this is nice. Saying thank you is nice. But being on your knees is really hard to move. Stand up. Raise your arms out wide. Because you were meant to fly. That's my message for you today, people. All right. As we all come around to our one-year anniversaries of whatever has happened in your life, remember to calibrate your compass. You're meant to fly. I'll see you when I see you. Okay, people, accept your sparkle, surrender to it, and allow it to be so. Until then, keep shining!